You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week, we hope. Uh, We've reached the quarter, well, what used to be the quarter pole of the season. Four games in, but with 17, I don't know, what's what's the quarter pole? Like maybe after the first quarter of week five. Anyway, we're going to keep calling it the quarter pole. And we're kind of seeing which teams are good, which teams really are not going in a very good direction. But it's a great time to kind of step back and reflect a little bit. Uh, We're going to talk about some different things today. Uh, Offensive efficiency. Is the run game coming back across the league? Some other things to talk about. Obviously, we had Bucks-Pats. What did we learn from that game? We've got the pick segment. But first, we're going to start with the segment we started last week, Alex's Aches and Pains, or just Alex's Aches. Let's go with that. Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league, no questions asked, number one guy. I have Aaron Rodgers number two in my rankings, but I've moved up this guy to number three. I didn't have him in my top five when we began the season, but the more I watch this team play, the more I I watch him play, the more comfortable he seems to be in that offense in his second year, I'm going to put Dak Prescott number three in my quarterback rankings. Yes, ahead of Josh Allen, ahead of Russell Wilson, ahead of Kyler Murray. I think Dak deserves to be top three. He didn't put up like huge numbers against Carolina. I mean, it was 14 out of 22, 188 yards only. He had four touchdowns. He had no interceptions. He's just a playmaker who has improved every year. And I see that he is just... Playing on another level, and there's a reason why Dallas is first in the NFC East, and there's a reason why they're going to make the playoffs, Lou. So what do you think about that? That doesn't sound like an ache or a pain, quite frankly. So I'm not sure where the, where that's going. But yeah, I mean, Dak's a, a great player. I don't think there's any ever any question that... Dak is a great player. Now, I don't know if I would move him up you know, ahead of some of those guys like Aaron Rodgers and Josh Allen and so forth at this point. I don't know if he has much more of a ceiling to hit. I think maybe this is what he is. I just mentioned briefly offensive efficiency, running the ball. I think when we talk about that, I think that'll be a big part of it is that, hey, if they take care of the ball, if they use... They're running backs, Zeke and Pollard. That makes Dak look even better. The efficiency doesn't have to throw 50 times a game. Doesn't have to put the ball in harm's way because they're trying to make make up a lot of points. I'm with you. I, I love Dak. He's one of my fantasy quarterbacks, so I picked him pretty high. Uh, you know, I don't know if I'd put him quite that high, but I love him as a player. I just think when he first came into the league, he was a game manager. You know, Dallas ran the football, and Dak excelled on those play action passes he didn't put the ball in harm's way I think he has evolved Lou and he has really evolved and this is his team now I mean I understand that when Zeke is going I mean this team looks better it looks like a machine but Zeke has has been up and down a little bit against obviously Carolina him and Pollard did really really well and that just makes the Dallas Cowboys offense even more lethal but 
Dak is leading that charge. And, you know, Cedric Wilson, Dalton Schultz, give me a break. I mean, we know about Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb, but where did these guys come from? So he's just spreading the ball around, and I really like it. He's not making any mistakes. He's got 10 touchdowns, 2 interceptions. He's on pace to throw for like 40 touchdowns, and I think he's going to get there. And if he reaches that number, there's a possibility that we're talking about Dak Prescott as the MVP at the end of the season. I realize there's some other quarterbacks involved here, like Mahomes, like Kyler Murray, like Justin Herbert. But don't sleep on Dak, because I think when it's all said and done, he might be the the clear-cut winner here. Maybe we should rename this segment. <laughs> not, you know, aches and pains. Maybe it's just Alex's quick points or something like that, because I don't think my second point is also an ache. You know, we like to focus on quarterbacks and playmakers like running backs and wide receivers when we talk about rookies and you know there are a few rookies that are excelling right now and there are a few of them on the defensive side as well but I want to praise the offensive line rookies let's start at the top Panay Sewell Panay Sewell was the pick of the Detroit Lions seventh overall he struggled in preseason at right tackle you know when Taylor Decker went down they switched Sewell to the left side. He became the left tackle. He hasn't given up a sack through four games. As bad as Detroit has been and, and they've blown some leads, Panay Sewell has been a cornerstone for this team. And he's so young. He's going to get better. I hope when Decker comes back, they put Decker at right tackle, even though he's always played left tackle throughout his career. But it's just Sewell looks like a natural there. Detroit, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, they hit a home run. Another guy I wanted to praise, and it's a guy that I didn't think could play left tackle in this league. I had him as a guard. That's Rashawn Slater. And we saw him on Monday night. He's playing left tackle for the Los Angeles Chargers. He's protecting Justin Herbert's blind side. He hasn't given up any sacks. He's given up maybe like four or five QB pressures. Uh, through the first four games. I mean, he has been also another left tackle that's been short of amazing, I would say. I also want to give a quick shout-out to second-round picks, interior offensive linemen. I want to give a shout-out to Creed Humphrey, who has been a center for the Kansas City Chiefs. He's played well. And the Packers. I mean, a lot of people made a big deal when they let Corey Lindsley go, and he left with the Los Angeles Chargers. But they drafted a guy by the name of Josh Myers out of Ohio State, and it seems like they haven't missed a beat. So Josh Myers, Creed Humphrey, Panay Sewell, Rashawn Slater, big shout out to those guys because the big uglies never get the attention that they deserve, and I just wanted to praise those rookies early on in their careers. Okay, well, oh, Urban, 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 Urban. You hear the old, I don't know if it's an old saying or whatever, but If somebody shows you who they are, believe them, okay? Another old adage, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I don't know if he has, if he fooled Shad Khan, but it certainly looks like he did. This is just, I guess, who he is, all right? So 
they they lose the game in Cincinnati. They're 0-4. He's probably feeling really, really horrible about the decision that he made. And maybe what did I get myself into? So I tell you what, I'm not going to fly back to Jacksonville with the team. I'm going to hang out in Columbus for a while where there's still people there that love me, will blow smoke up my ass and tell me how great I am. And then, of course, you know, pictures come out, videos come out. Uh, you know, he's got a very young lady that has nothing is not his wife or anybody close to him and he's fondling or whatever you want to call it whatever but the bottom line is this is then he comes out with some lame apology there's reports now from mike silver and some other people that the players really didn't take that apology very well kind of laughed it off and i don't know that he's got any credibility in that locker room right now so yeah he got me i thought at very least he'd make it through the year and show that he could at least get this uh, franchise going in the right direction. I don't know that he was ever going to make the full contract, but yeah, he got me. He absolutely got me here, and I would not be surprised if he's gone within the next few weeks. So that's my ache, my pain in the ass. Let's call it that, my PIA, right? So Urban, you got me. I guess we shouldn't be surprised. No, and that's that's. I guess that's the thing that really bugs me, and that's my pain, is that I should have known better. Yeah, he has built winners in college football everywhere where he went, whether it was Bowling Green, Utah, Florida, Ohio State, he has won. But every time he left the program in shambles. In Florida, you know, he was put like he had some problems, probation, you know, there, there's a reason why he left. At Ohio State, he also had problems that have been well documented out there. So people don't change, Lou. Yeah, I mean, that's it. People I mean, don't change. Like I said, they show you who they are, believe them. And I guess the most disappointing thing, Lou, is that we see how bad the Houston Texans are, and the Jacksonville Jaguars couldn't even win that opening game. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, they gave James Robinson five carries. I mean, did they think that Trevor Lawrence was going to throw 50 times during that game and have like four touchdowns and they were going to run away with it? It's really hard to win in the NFL. And I think we, we know that from the outside in. But it's really, really tough. I mean, it's not about like recruiting five and four star players and then just coaching mediocre but because of your talent you're still gonna beat you know the the indianas you know the rutgers in the league the maryland's you know you're gonna take care of them and then you might struggle against the michigans the penn states right but it's like the nick saban thing some guys are really good coaching college players but it just doesn't transfer over to the nfl it works in some cases it seems to be working with matt rule but he seems to be a different animal. I think Urban is on his last breath. This is the one thing that was kind of aching him. He's like, can I do it? Can I be a head coach in the NFL? All right, they're giving me a buttload of money. I think I'm going to take it. I don't think he has the energy for this. I mean, every time you see his face on the sideline, he's about to collapse, Low. I mean, he, he has that look. He's like, what did I get myself into? He has so much pain. For his sake, for his health, for his family, there's nothing wrong admitting that you're not cut out for this. Walk away at the end of the year. I'm not about abandoning the team halfway through the year, but I think just walk away after this year, cut your losses, go to the USC Trojans, 
rediscover that program, you know, win a national championship and, and everything is going to be forgotten. I guess I'm not speaking so much to the coaching X's and O's part of it. Just the fact that, you know, he comes in as this, okay, we're going to building this, uh, this program from character and everything else. And I don't know that he's really had a leg to stand on coming in preaching all that. And then he shows you in a weak moment what he's about. So how can those players listen to what he has to say about you know showing character and, and just doing the right thing and playing the right way when the coach isn't doing that? So that's the part that really bugs me. Is it forget about you know winning the game or, or, or that stuff, which again is, is obviously is very important, especially to the Jaguars and the leadership. But but again, I mean, he was brought in like he's going to revitalize this area and do all these this great stuff outside of football. And again, he shows you who he is. He's kind of of a slippery slimy dude and leaving things well you know i stayed up there to, to hang out with family whatever but you know everybody on the planet is now a tmz reporter everybody's got a recording device in their pocket or pictures or <laughs> videos whatever and it's gonna get out and you know i don't know if he was just so loaded he didn't know what he was doing he's very inappropriate obviously and then to actually try to lie to the players it's just it's just ugly, and I don't know that he's going to have the choice to leave at the end of the year. So we'll just leave it at that. Without further ado, let's bring in our guest. We've got a college football player ready to rock and roll. He's a wide receiver, pride of the Alcorn State Braves, LaCharles D'Anferny Pringle. How you doing, LaCharles? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing all right. Well, I got to say, and I think Alex will bear me out at some point, is you, you definitely are the first Charles we've had on the show, and that's quite an impressive uh, name across the board. That looks like it, it's it's going to be on somebody's mantle at some point. Man, I hope so, man. Pretty original. It sure is. Uh, let's start off with a little football. Who got you into football? What, do you remember You know, just when you first started out? Uh, I don't remember who got me into it, but um, I started playing football when I was Three put me on a pee wee team when I was three. I was playing with like four and five year olds. What was your earliest memory of playing the game? Well, I think I was about five. I was playing running back then at a younger age, between five and probably nine. And then I transitioned to quarterback to my earliest memory. Were you always like the biggest guy or something? I mean, playing at three years old, they don't allow many kids to, to play at three years old. Were you always like the tallest, the biggest guy? I wasn't the tallest, but I I was the same height as the, the older kids at the time. So I guess you could say I was a nice-sized three-year-old. Tell us, how did you make it to Alcorn State? Why did you choose that school? What led you in, in that direction? What were the main reasons you decided to go there? Well, they were the first big school to show interest in me as far as D1. Um, I had a, quite a few JUCOs reach out to me prior, but First, they reached out. They were the first team to reach out to me. And then I had some family members that went to Alcorn as well, so kind of influenced the uh, decision. So, Charles, you really broke out in uh, 2019. What were some of the keys to that breakout season? I wouldn't say anything was different. It was more so an opportunity. My first year at Alcorn, I played safety because I came in as an athlete on scholarship. I ended up breaking my finger in two places, so I had medical registration. Then the next year, or the spring of the same year, which was in 2017, I transitioned back to 
because I just I miss offense. I miss having the ball in my hands. And so I began working, training at receiver for another year. And my coach finally gave me the chance in 2019. You went like from like 14 receptions to 48. You set the school all-time school record for 14 touchdown receptions in a season. How did that make you feel that, geez, you know, this is my first opportunity and I've got a record? Man, it was incredible, man. Um, guy's record I broke, me and his son, uh, are like close friends, like brothers. Uh, Tim McNair, we, uh, okay. I ended up tying the record with him. It's amazing how uh, that happened in one year. Tell me about your quarterback, Felix Harper. I mean, obviously there's behind every wide receiver, there's a good quarterback that, that gets you the ball. Tell me about your signal caller. Oh, man, Felix. Same thing with him. We came in together uh, 2016. We met on our visit, and we became close ever since. But um, at the start, you know, I played safety, played quarterback, but we still were throwing to each other because we were roommates. So every time he went out, I went out. It worked out. And just transitioning to being his receiver wasn't that hard because he always threw to me. So the connection we have is, I guess you could say, pretty tight. LeCharles, you always seem to come up big on the biggest stage. Lou already mentioned that you had a breakout 2019 season, but you also were the offensive MVP in the SWAC championship game that same year. Talk about getting that award, winning it on the biggest stage. Oh, man, that that award was incredible because I had no clue I was receiving the award. Because uh, I thought, you know, Felix had a good game. My running backs had a good game. And I was just talking to my parents and my, my siblings after the game. And next thing you know, I hear my name being called. And everybody rushing to me, telling me I need to get on the stage. I'm like, why am I getting on stage? And that's when they told me I won the MVP award. And it was a blessing. I was lost with words at the time. Last year, you guys didn't play. I mean, due to COVID, the season's canceled. Sounds like it's the first time since you were three that you didn't play football for in a season. How did you adapt to not playing at all? Not playing was rough. I think it was the best decision for us, though. But we still were practicing and training and doing what you know we needed to do to get prepared for this season. Um, so it wasn't a big transition, but I just hate we couldn't play in real games in 2020. So what type of uh, drills or workouts were you doing, just say on your own, away from the, the team? Because I'd imagine you probably had a little bit more free time, obviously, on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Were you doing anything different or did you, were you trying to improve on any particular skill that you, you that you wanted to get better at? During the COVID time, I, um, I took a couple of trips to Atlanta and I trained with um, a guy named uh, Coach Hilton. Uh, he, works out, he works out with Felix as well. And um, I heard he trained a lot of NFL guys. So I went and worked out with him a couple a couple weeks. And I also have a trainer at home named C.J. Bailey. I always just train with them. And I, the biggest thing I wanted to work on was acceleration, route running, and just being able to catch the ball any form of shape. As long as it's in the area, I should be able to catch it. And that was my biggest thing I wanted to work on in offseason. How'd that go? Uh, I think I increased a lot. I did what I wanted to do, reach some goals that I wanted to reach. Uh, Celebration not fully where I wanted to be, but I think I'm going to get it there before. What are you going to be working on the most, like after the season ends? Uh, Do you recognize some of your 
shortcomings, some of the things that you need to improve upon in order to make it at the next level? Yes, sir. Um, big thing that I've heard uh, that I agree with is my 40 time and I would say uh, flexibility. Those are the two main things I really need to work on. But besides those things, I think I'm pretty good at what I do. All right, LeCharles, let's talk about the last game that you guys played against. Uh, Alcorn State played against Arkansas Pine Bluff. It was one of the mm-hmm. surreal comebacks. I would say a comeback for the ages because you guys were down 32-13 to 13, midway through the third quarter. It looked like you guys were going to lose that game. You came back. You won by one point. What was the turning point in that game? And was the coach yelling at you in the locker room at halftime? I mean, what was the motivating factor that you guys came out on top? We went in at halftime, and, you know, we were down, I believe it was 26-7 at half. And went to the halftime, and our coach, you know, we expect the same thing he's saying. We're thinking he's going to yell and get on to it, but he didn't yell at all. He was calm, poised. He was just like, uh, it's probably by far the worst half we ever played in all of Alcorn football probably. And he knew what we were capable of. He was like, we need to, if we want to win this game, we need to turn it on. And he expected more from us. So when he didn't yell and he was coy, that was a big key and the reason why we stepped up and fought all the way through the 60 minutes. Did you think that the team had it in them to make that type of comeback? Because, I mean, hey, you guys were down by almost 20 points and there's like a, a quarter right. and a half left. Oh, I absolutely believe that we could have made the comeback. I knew we had it in us. It's just the uh, only question was, what we're going to do it? Most teams, you know, you get down 10, 15, 20 points, you know, your body language and you just feel like it's over. But surprisingly, you know, we, we kept our head up, kept cheering each other on, supporting each other, and we came out on top. I want to go back a quick second here, Charles, something you had said, what you were working on in terms of acceleration and overall speed. What was the last time you ran a 40, and what, what was that time? Uh, the last time I ran a 40 was COVID in March of 2020. My teammate had came home with me to uh, go to Mississippi, where I'm from. Uh, his name was Chris Blair. Came home with me. He had just got done training at uh, EXO. They taught him how to run the 40 in how to shorten his time, so we were working it in. That was my last time I ran. Do you recall what the time was? Uh, four four nine. And is that faster than before? I mean, it sounds like you improved, right? For that time, the last time I truly ran the 40 was uh, the summer after I graduated high school. And I ran about the same. Ran, well, the fastest I ran then was a four four four. but I think if I would have actually trained for it like I did going into college i think i would have ran probably the same or a little fast four four nine is a good time so why did the scouts have a question mark about your speed i don't know like i said i haven't really ran it in front of anybody like a scout or coaches besides my high school coach in the spring of march maybe i need to show up more in the game or i don't know well, like they said, there's always time speed and game speed, and you know, who knows what uh, scouts are looking at or what which particular tape they did. But if you're consistent, I'm sure uh, everybody will be satisfied. You mentioned Tim McNair before. 
Mm-hmm. Obviously, the McNair name is it seems to be a big deal in that community. Obviously, you know, Fred is the head coach. His mm-hmm. brother, Steve Air McNair, was a legend at Alcorn. You know, he was a Heisman candidate, uh, NFL legend. And I know there's some other McNairs on the squad. What does that name mean on campus and in that community? That's a pretty big name. Uh, like you said, head coach, first Air McNair, and then his brother, Steve, you know, the legend great himself and they pretty big around campus i'm close with the mcnairs you know tim that's my uh one of my teammates and coach ferris uh, the king that's another one of my friends so it's probably always gonna be big as long as all corn is all corn is there an essence that still remains i mean like a almost like a reverence do you, do you see any other like signs of that maybe just even in the, in the community uh, I, wouldn't I wouldn't say it's the essence but you you can see and feel that, that the McNairs are still big. Like, at games, you'll see people wearing a, a nine jersey, Steve McNair jersey, or they have, like, T-shirts made where they say Air McNair. You know, it's still big at all corner. now. Everybody remembers and knows who the McNairs are. HBCUs have been getting a little bit more recognition lately, even though there's a long and storied history of great players, coaches, you know, but now you've got Deion Sanders mm-hmm. coaching Jackson State. You've got Eddie George at Tennessee State, just to mention a couple. What's it meant to you being a student athlete at an HBCU school? I think it's helped us out a lot. The teams in SWAC and MEAC and HBCUs uh, get more exposure. This year, it may have been the most ESPN or televised game I've played in since I've been here. So I think it's helping us get more exposure and getting uh, scouts and people in the world to see that, you know, the SWAC and the MEAC or HBCU also have just about the same amount of talent as other big schools. And we talked about a little bit your, the trainers that you're working with. You mentioned scouts a few times. Why don't you put that scout hat on right now, Lou Charles? What would be mm-hmm. your scouting report on number 82 for Alcorn State? If I was to grade myself or give myself a scouting report, I would say he has great hands, has good route running, can get open, smart guy, read the defense well, knows what the defense is going to do before it, before the ball snaps, makes big plays when, when needed. Some negatives, I would say, stance and start on the line, flexibility, like I told you before, acceleration of the ball. I think that's it as far as my opinion. Oh, we appreciate the honesty. I mean, a lot, a lot of guys don't go into the negative, so that was that was a good one. Well, Charles, who do you like to watch on Sundays? Everybody likes to emulate certain <laughs> players. Everyone likes to watch someone. Who's your favorite NFL wide receiver? Oh, uh, man. I don't really have a set favorite guy. But I like to watch people that I implement my game off of or that I find similar to myself. I watch uh, Adam Thielen. I watch uh, Tyler Lockett, Keenan Allen. I like Cooper Cup and Doug Baldwin. With those guys, like Adam Thielen, Doug Baldwin, and uh, Cooper Cup, they all were undrafted. All right, we've been talking. We've been getting to know you on the field, what you are and who you are as a football player, but we want to get to know you a little bit off the field. What do you think makes you a unique individual? Uh, what do you think uh, sets you apart from the rest of the folks out there? For off the field, I think me being myself. I'm a outgoing guy. I make sure I speak to everybody that I see or uh, 
that seems like they want to be spoken to. Because I feel like sometimes you can make somebody's day by just speaking to them. One day I hope, you know, this is what I always tell everybody. When I turn 37, between 37 and 40, I want to try to run for president. Because that's just something I always wanted to change the world or to change lives in my, since I've been alive in this world. All right, hopefully it happens for you. I wish you all the best. I mean, if it's not president, hey, you can always run for Senate. Well, you got two votes here if you run for president. So. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. What are your individual goals and your team goals for the rest of the season? Now, do you have something that you have set for yourself, like before the season started? Yes, sir. Um, I'm going to start with the team goals. Team goals, one, win our division, which is the West now. Two, win the SWAG championship. And three, win the Celebration Bowl. Those are three set team goals that we have. But we take it game by game. Individually-wise, I would say, I said myself, I wanted 1,000 yards receiving, at least 80 to 100 catches, at least 15 touchdowns. I wanted to, I wanted to do everything better, improve everything from this season, from 2019. So those are my individual goals that I set for myself. Hopefully getting a bowl game or some type of bowl game afterwards. Well, last game, you, you scored two touchdowns, so you're uh, it's time to, to go get it. I mean, 15 touchdowns is a hefty goal, but that would be fun to break your own record, right? Yes, sir, it would. Um, I kind of started my the same way in 2019, which is crazy. Uh, my first three games, I didn't really play in 2019, uh, but the fourth game was, my, was a game – we had somebody get hurt, and I had to play a lot of reps. That was my first touchdown, my fourth game of the season, and it just went from there. All right, let's find out where we can uh, find you on social media. Uh, what's your uh, Twitter handle? What's your Instagram? Go ahead, do some of those plugs. I'm on Twitter at Pringle underscore LDP. You know, I ain't big on social media, but I've just started, you know, Instagram. Oh, it's Pringle.82. My Snapchat name is Lee Charles 82. Go check it out. Um, when is the next game, Lee Charles, and who are you guys playing? Uh, it'll be October 9th, next Saturday. We play Grambling State at home for a homecoming. All right. Good luck in that game, and uh, we appreciate you coming on in the show. Oh, thank you, Mr. Alex. Thank you, Mr. Luke. Thank you for having me today. You got it, sir. Have a good season. Thank you, Yachty. Have a good day. One of the things that I had mentioned, we talked about the, the Cowboys, and, and Alex was talking about Dak elevating his game. And I looked at three teams specifically, you know, teams that just seem like they just want to throw the ball. I mean, obviously, Dallas had their issues with their defense, so that was forcing them to throw the ball. Cliff Kingsbury comes in with his air raid offense, and of course... It didn't work out so well the first few years, and it has slowly evolved into a more professional-style offense and using the run more. The Chiefs, they saw what happened in the Super Bowl with the way, and it wasn't just the Super Bowl, but I think most teams, I mean, their attempt is to, as now the, the vogue term is, we're going to build a roof over the defense. We're not going to let you get deep. We're playing two guys, two safeties high, and daring you to run the ball, be patient, be efficient. Eventually, you will get impatient and make mistakes. And those three teams, I think, are evolving towards, okay, take what the defense gives you. It's a short sample, 
But I think this is the way the league has gone, where the defense has said, okay, we've got all these wild passing games. This is how we're going to try to defend you with the two high. So now it's like, let's get back to the running game. So, you know, Kansas City out of the blue. Granted, it was Philadelphia, but still they had the patience and, and the ability to run for over 200 yards. Arizona ran the ball exceedingly well. They had a drive late in that game. They got the ball, I think they were on five or six, and they ran the ball 11 consecutive times. We talked about Dallas, Zeke, and Pollard. You know, Dak only threw how many passes? 26 or so. They ran the ball efficiently. He threw the ball well, and great result. Is this an anomaly, or do you think this is the way that these passing teams have to now incorporate a lot more run concepts to really stay relevant and stay ahead of the head of the pace and head of the defenses? I think you answered your own question. It's just you have to adapt and you have to adjust on the fly when you realize that. Your passing game is great, but there's no way that you can throw the ball with your quarterback 50 times a game. You still need to slow it down. You still need to control the clock in the fourth quarter when you need to drain it or maybe run the football, establish the run in the first quarter, you know? It's all about controlling the clock. I mean, it's really important. Teams that are making the playoffs in in the league, they're still, for the most part, teams that have a balanced offense, teams that can run the football. Because in the playoffs, it is still about when you have that close game, when you have that lead, if you can lean on a bell cow running back in the fourth quarter that can take you over the top and get you into whatever it is, the conference championship game or the Super Bowl, you lean on him. So I think these teams are adjusting. I think they're realizing that, hey, if they're going to drop everyone back, then we've got an opportunity to just get it one hat on a hat type of guy we don't have enough guys in the box to to give us problems so we're just going to run the football and you mentioned the Arizona Cardinals I mean they rushed for 216 yards I mean that was impressive to find that balance whether it was Chase Edmonds or whether it was James Conner Conner got the ball and on third downs you know when they scored those touchdowns in the fourth quarter they used Rondell Moore in the running game too which was really innovative. I mean, he's a tiny guy, but it just shows you that one, he can be kind of a chess piece type dude, play him anywhere. And also that Kingsbury has evolved his offense. And he, I'm sure he recognized this early on that there's no way we're going to be able to go hundred miles an hour the whole game and just put Murray in, in jeopardy that many times a game. You see that a lot, though, with offensive coordinators and different teams. You mentioned Rondale Moore being used as a chess piece. I saw the same thing with the Atlanta Falcons the last couple of weeks. Arthur Smith is just utilizing Cordero Patterson like we've never seen before. I mean, this dude, I don't know what you call him. You can't call him a wide receiver or a running back. He's an ex-O-W, offensive weapon. That's what he is. And the fact that last game, I mean, he scored like three touchdowns or something like that. That that was insane. I mean, they use him in the slot. They use him in the backfield. He's used as a traditional running back. He runs out for some passes. I mean, most linebackers can't hang with this dude because he's just so damn athletic. And, you know, he can start and stop, you know, on a dime out there. So, 
I, I thought that was really impressive. And I think more and more teams are going to use some of these slot wide receivers and line them up in the backfield in a fullback type of role. And you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, is he going to go out for a pass or is he going to block? This is also kind of a new age, you know, and more and more teams are using these versatile players in just different ways. And I was impressed by that. So I wanted to mention Cordero Patterson as well, because, I mean, he's just an obvious example out there against uh, Washington in a loss. But the guy was unstoppable. If the Minnesota Vikings used him like that in the beginning if they knew what to do with him because he wasn't just your traditional wide receiver i mean this guy would be going to the hall of fame as time evolves and these offenses taking more from the college and high school offenses they find it i guess a little bit easier to deploy these guys where patterson you know at at tennessee you know i mean kick returner wide receiver they use him in the backfield Right, And I think the Bears tried to a little bit. The Patriots tried to a little bit. But I think Atlanta, really out of sheer need, they need somebody because they, you know, they've got Mike Davis in the backfield, but not really much else. You've got Ridley. You've got Pitts. You know, Gage has been, has been hurt or hasn't been in the lineup. So now, okay, what do you do? So you've got this piece that he can do all those things but he was never great in any one of them. But now that he's getting an opportunity, hopefully they'll see that this guy's like having a rebirth. You know, I don't know if he's going to be able to return kicks anymore because he's getting so many snaps on offense. But still, I mean, the key is going to be is, is patience. Can these guys stick to, I guess, the running game? Maybe if it doesn't, you know, work right away, and that's the big, big knock on on Reed. It's been the big knock on Kingsbury until now, and the Cowboys. It's been a, it was a little bit different with Jason Garrett. I don't know that they've ever been accused of that. I think with them, it was just though the the defense was just giving up so many points. You know, obviously you've got teams like the Browns, the Forty ers You know, I mean, they are run first teams, which is almost unheard of in this league. But yeah, I mean, you take from everybody, whether it's in the NFL or from the college game. And when I saw those three teams, what they did, it's almost like, how do you stop any of those three if they're able to run the ball? And then when the defense comes up, you pop it over the top. So how about them Cardinals? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we just even the defense is really stepped up. During our NFL preview, I was accused of hitting the bottle. At times, I will make some picks that are a little bit out there. But, Lou, my picks look pretty damn good through, like, the quarter the mark The quarter of pole, the yes. We're, yeah, sitting there, Arizona, Carolina, you know, both in play there. Sure. I was really impressed because this is like a defining win for the Cardinals. It was the Los Angeles Rams. I mean, the Rams who destroyed the Tampa yeah. Bay Bucks. On the road. Yeah, and big. On yeah. the road. I mean, it's just... In the first half, I mean, the Cardinals had a timely interception when Stafford went for Deshaun Jackson. Byron Murphy intercepted it. They had a forced fumble, so they're causing turnovers. Then I saw in the first half how they converted like third and 16, third and 14. I mean, that was really impressive. When you get in those long, third and long situations, usually, I mean, the chances that you're converting those against a pretty good defense are almost slim to none. The Cardinals were able to convert. And then in the fourth quarter, like you mentioned, the running game. I mean, they were able to ice the game. Edmonds had a couple of big runs. 
I just hope that the Cardinals will be able to keep up because last year, Arizona also started 5-2, and two, and then they collapsed. But I believe this team is different. The fact that they have Chandler Jones, he's not you know injured. The fact that they have the maturity and J.J. Watt there, they have those linebackers in that offense. I mean, it's amazing that Christian Kirk only caught one pass for like two yards, I think. And he's a guy that was really involved in last week's game. So they're able to use a bunch of different weapons. Kirk, Rondale Moore, A.J. Green. I mean, obviously DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, then they're using, you know, Chase Edmonds, James Conner, and they're throwing to them out of the backfield. Kyler Murray has got to be the front runner for the MVP right now. I mean, that that's a fact. Well, he's certainly up there. I mean, I would, I would have to agree with you there. I mean, they're, they're undefeated. You know, they've got some big wins under their belt. Yeah, the, the veteran leadership that they brought in, you can say some of their front office moves have been suspect over the years, without a doubt. But I think the guys that they brought in this offseason are definitely you know, bringing the young guys along as well as performing themselves. Because you said, Kirk, you know, you got more getting the ball. You got A.J. Green getting a double X. Max Williams, the, the tight end, may, making a big play. So Kyler Murray's just the cheat code. A couple of those plays, a third and 16, it's, a, it's basically a scramble. And then it's like you've got maybe not quite Lamar Jackson, but I think maybe Murray's even a little <laughs> slipperier. Maybe because he's a little bit shorter. Maybe the defensive backs don't expect it, but they should by now. He made some third down conversions with his legs that were, were very impressive. And you know, what's a defense to do? You shut everybody down, and the next thing you know, he blows through the line of scrimmage, and then forget it. You know, first down, here we go. But this isn't like a Lamar Jackson situation. No, I there's, mean, Tyler Murray yeah. uses his legs when he has exactly. It's almost like Russell Wilson. I mean, when he has to, he'll use it. He's going to hang in the pocket. He'll try to find his wide receivers till the last second. And he is a pocket quarterback. So it's worked out for the Arizona Cardinals. They certainly made that wacky move by shipping Josh Rosen, by drafting Kyler Murray number one overall. Kingsbury and the Arizona Cardinals organization, they were right. I mean, they realized that this was the perfect quarterback for this system. So I think the Cardinals are here to stay unless they collapse down the stretch. I don't know if they're going to win this division. I picked them to win this division. I fully believe that they'll win it. But they will definitely be in the playoffs. Got to earn it. I mean, this division, I mean, you saw that the 4 o'clock window there where you know, it was Arizona, L.A., and uh, Seattle, San Francisco. I mean, all four of those teams, you know, it's a gauntlet. You know, they've got San Francisco this week. Then they go uh, to Cleveland, then back home, Houston, Green Bay, at San Francisco again, Carolina, at Seattle, then they're by. You know, they've got certainly some winnable games in there, but obviously, you know, San Francisco twice and Seattle are going to be the, the real telling game. So it's a great division. I think we, we both agreed that that and the AFC West were the two best divisions in the league, and it seems to be playing out that way. It remains to be seen, you know, Denver and the Raiders, I don't know, but certainly the Chargers and the Chiefs are, are going to be there. Lamar had over 300 yards passing against Denver in Denver. Great, you know, great defense. Played well so far this year. That was only his second 300-yard game 
of his career. That's kind of surprised me a little bit. Hollywood Brown making some plays, but uh, there was something else that happened in that game. Did you see what happened at the end? No, I did not. What happened? So, I mean, the big to-do is Fangio kind of lost his mind, and then Harbaugh clapped back. Denver's got the ball in Baltimore territory. They're down whatever it was, 23-7. to That was the final score. And they're pitching it into the end zone a few plays. Denver stops them. Baltimore gets the ball back. And I don't know how much time is left. There's under 10 seconds left. Uh, instead of taking a knee, Jackson kind of rolls to his left, runs out about five yards, and then fall, just falls to the turf. Okay? So evidently, Baltimore had a 42 straight game streak of 100 yards rushing or more by a team. And 43 games, I think, would tie the Steelers record. I and mean, that was back in the 70s. Or Basically, the game's over, but to keep the streak alive, keep the streak going, and then afterwards, Fangio is like just making all sorts of cracks. So like, that's the biggest bullshit thing I've seen in 37 years of pro ball. It doesn't surprise me that they would be the ones to do it. And then Harbaugh says, well, geez, you know, He's worried about player safety. There's no 16-point plays. You know, you're thrown into the end zone on fourth down, and you're down two scores, and there are 10 seconds left. And so it was just kind of nice to see that coaches can still do that kind of stuff and not just give you the regular coach speak. As far as Lamar Jackson is concerned, I'm not surprised he threw for over 300 yards just because... I mean, he had an injury coming in, Lou. I mean, he had a back injury. So you would expect the offensive coaching staff to kind of tame his his running ability because he wasn't 100%. He was more of a pocket passer in this game. And I think he showed everyone that, hey, I can do this. I can hang. I mean, they have Mark Andrews. They have Marquise Brown. But they're missing Rashad Bateman still, who they, they drafted. You know, James Prochet, who's like fourth or fifth on their depth chart, he caught a few passes against Denver. So it was just an opportunity to kind of unleash Lamar because you knew that he just wasn't 100% and they didn't want to risk, you know, injuring him in this game. Because if they lose Lamar, then I think Baltimore Ravens' season is over. Oh, yeah, no question. And they, they're a team that has to evolve the other way, right? I and mean, we're talking about these passing teams that have to be able to run the ball. Well, they certainly have to show that they can pass the ball, at least have that threat, or you know, teams during the playoffs kind of load up the line of scrimmage, and we've seen the result. Yeah, but I guess my surprise is more so that it, that it was only the second time that he's done it. That was great. I mean, I hope he continues to evolve and becomes the player that uh, he's meant to be, and I think maybe a little bit has to do with Greg Roman and, and just the way he calls plays so, because they're so obviously so successful running it that you know, maybe they don't evolve the passing game more than they should. But, you know, hopefully we'll see that continue for Lamar's case. So there's a little game in New England this weekend, uh, Sunday night, Bucks pats What did we learn from that? I guess, you know, Bill still can kind of, I don't know about confused, but certainly uh, make quarterbacks uncomfortable. Uh, I don't know that Brady ever really settled into that game, but I'm sure there was a lot of emotions early on. He was high on a lot of throws. But still, Belichick made them work. This is an offense that can put up points, you know, in boatloads, and, you know, they were lucky to get uh, whatever it was, 19. And then also Mac Jones. I think Mac Jones accounted for himself. He took a bunch of shots. 
He completed 19 in a row at one point. It didn't look like the moment was too big for him, even though obviously it was a pretty big night in um, in Foxborough. But uh, I guess those are the two takeaways that I have. One, Belichick can still you know scheme up his defense to make quarterbacks very uncomfortable, and two, Mac kind of showed why they have him as their starter. But they need to take the handcuffs off of Mac Jones. I mean, they need to do this. I mean, he can't be like Mr. Checkdown. Low. I mean, they're not going to win like this. They're not going to get into the playoffs like this. doesn't matter how good their defense is. They got to open it up a little bit. They have to. I mean, they can't possibly just say we're going to win by running the ball and playing good defense. They have to take some shots. They have to, like, you know... Let the kid, let him, you know, throw it a little bit more past five yards. I mean, with all due respect for his, like, 19 completions and all that, he's he's not completing the long passes. And it just kind of looks like Brady in his early days a little bit in regards to how they're managing I think that's exactly what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, that's the, and it kind of. But they're not going to win it wor- and, it wor- and it worked, and it worked for them. Here's where you run into some issues is one, you spend all this money in free agency, but you're developing a rookie quarterback while also trying to, you know, win games. That's a fine line. I mean, you don't want, you know, what, he did take a bunch of shots, and it seemed like those were when he held the ball a little bit more. And if they don't have a, a lot of talent on the outside, you know, Kendrick Bourne is starting, you know, kind of working into things now. And you see, you know, wide receivers come into this offense. It takes them a while to understand all the nuances and what they expect these guys and the timing routes and everything else and reading the defense. Maybe they will as the season goes on. But for that particular game, I think that's really what they wanted him to do was just, you know, be efficient, don't turn it over, and we'll see what happens in the fourth quarter. And they almost pulled it off, you know, seriously. Do you think Belichick, if they, if Brady was his quarterback, he goes for it on that fourth and three at the end of the game? Yes, I think so. I mean, definitely he would put the ball in, the, in Brady's hands out there. He wouldn't put it, he wouldn't let a kicker, you know, go there for, for the how about Brady? How about Brady in his rookie or first year playing? Brady's fourth game of his career. No, he wouldn't. He would not let him, you know, convert that fourth and three. He would do the same thing he did with Matt. Right. The Patriots don't have Justin Tucker. No, so that's the thing. You know, and full, you know, Folk for, you know, he had made, I don't know how many in a row, but I think he was a little gimpy on the, they kept saying he was a little gimpy on the plant leg. And then the conditions and everything else. I mean, that, if they had Vinatieri, maybe because he can like kick in any conditions but and we've seen that through history in the snow and the rain whatever the situation wind somehow he would get it through but you know hell he almost he almost made it uh no there's no moral victories but i would say that uh they learned a lot about their quarterback about their defense what they can do and yeah i agree with you they got to take you got to be able to throw the ball over the top but that hasn't been their mo in a long time and it's, I think, primarily because of the, you know, they really don't have that separating guy. You know, they don't have the guy that can take the top off the defense. Maybe it can be Kendrick Bourne, but, I mean, even he was, what, like a third receiver in San Francisco? So they spent all that money on the tight ends. I mean, that's, that's who they are. That's what they do. 
All right, let's get to the picks. I mean, uh, maybe you're going to go 4 and 0. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, absolutely. Think positive. That's right. Oh, real quick, replacing the Darnold to Arnold combination that, you know, Arnold got traded away, you know, to uh, where do you go? Jacksonville for Henderson. Now is replaced by Hertz to Ertz. Hurts to Ertz in Philadelphia. That's the new combination. So there you go. For those of you that were worried about the play on words, Hurts to Ertz. I like that one better. <laughs> it just it has a, a better sound because I well, mean, you can Darnold, say it better. Darnold and Arnold. It was it's, it was tongue tying all the all the uh, announcers. <laughs> so I guess that's probably part of the reason why they made the trade, right? Make it easier on the announcers. I think there used to be like I think there used to be a cartoon with Arnold like on Nick. Hey Arnold, yeah, sure. Just, My kids used to watch it. Sure. It sounds weird, Darnold to Arnold. <laughs> I mean, hurts to Ertz. I love that. There you go. So. The pick segment last week at four games, two and two. So overall, we're now six and eight. Uh, I told Alex before we started recording, if I ever say I want to pick on Detroit again, stop me right there, turn the recording off, and tell me that I'm crazy. So so I had Detroit. That didn't work out so well. Packers were a winner, uh, minus six, six and a half, depending on you know when you put it put your bet down. Baltimore was either pick them or minus one. So they won that game pretty handily in Denver. And then last night, uh, Monday night game, the Raiders, yeah, they kind of came back in the third quarter. But when they missed that field goal, that I think that kind of deflated the team and that was it. Then Eckler kind of put the kibosh on any would-be comeback. So anyway, here we are at six and eight. I've got some... Uh, Looks like some pretty obvious plays here, so that's I'm, I'm feeling real uneasy about the picks this week. But since we're recording on Tuesday, I'm picking the Thursday night game, and here we go, right off the bat. Home underdog on Thursday night. The team traveling always has a rough night on Thursdays. I'm taking Seattle plus two against the Rams. Yeah, the Rams are going to lose two in a row. Next one, Chargers could be minus one, minus one and a half. Pick up whatever. Chargers are going to win this game. They're going to beat Cleveland. Baker Mayfield's not going to have enough weaponry. Well, no, he's got enough weaponry. I just don't think he's going to be able to score enough points, even though the running game will be there. Uh, Dallas has given seven to the Giants. Again, this just looks way too easy. The Giants, yeah, they played well against New Orleans. They came back. It was kind of an unlikely thing. But I think the way Dallas is playing right now, Give the seven. And then finally, another one that looks way too easy. Baltimore minus seven at home against Indianapolis. This should not be a game. This should not be close in by any stretch of the imagination. But I'm still going to go with Baltimore minus seven, even though it looks so obvious. So those are the four. Seattle plus two. Chargers minus one. Dallas minus seven. Baltimore minus seven. Remember, if they all win, you heard it here first. I just want to say for the record, Cleveland is going to win that game. No questions asked. It's not about Baker Mayfield. If you haven't watched the Browns play, that defense is going to force turnovers. It's going to stop the run. Chargers aren't going to look half as good as they looked against the Raiders because, I mean, it's still the Raiders. So I would take the Brownies in that game. And I was going to go with that Thursday night game for the lock of the week. I'm going to change my Oh, don't. Go. You're going Rams, aren't you? 
I am going Rams. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just against like common sense. Please, that's, please that's, do it. I, I, I would feel much better about I'm my I'm not going to do it. But I, I do think that the Rams are going to win that game on the road Thursday. They don't have to travel. It's a West Coast game, Lou. I mean, like Seattle it, and they, Los Angeles. It's not a it's matter like a of the distance here. It's just the less they don't have as much preparation time, not as many days. So, I, okay, that's that's good. We're overrating Seattle, so I would take the Rams in that game. But I'm going to go with a different game for the lock of the week. You can put me like on Cleveland, and you can put me on the Rams. What was the, the lock way. of the week last week? The lock of the week last week was. It was Dallas. It was Dallas. Winner, winner, Carolina. chicken dinner. Very nice. Yeah. So I'm two and two right now. I'm making a comeback. I started off zero and two. I'm making a comeback, trying to get over five hundred. So my lock of the week is Green Bay on the road against the Cincinnati Bengals. I realize that the Bengals have been a good story. They haven't played a team like Green Bay. And I just think Aaron Rodgers on the road, he's going to cover. It's plus three. Cincinnati is plus three. So Green Bay is minus three. I think they're going to cover at least by a touchdown. This just looks too easy. Again, yes. That's why I didn't pick. I, I couldn't bring myself to take Cincinnati. So I said, no, I'm not touching that one. I'm going with the Packers and Aaron Rodgers minus three. I think I'm going to get over the, the hump and I'm going to go to three and two. I just I just want to make that statement right now on Tuesday as we tape Green Bay. There's no way they're going to lose that game. No way. All right. Very good. There you have it, folks. That is episode number 51 of Pros Like Us. Yes, we're into our second 50 leading crazily up to 100 episodes. So I want to say thanks to our guest, LaCharles Pringle, wide receiver of the Alcorn State Braves. And for Alex, I'm Lou. Until next week. Hoo!